Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast, episode 90. I'm Ryan and I'm joined by some other nerds, Matt. Hello. And Carissa. Hi. Christina's off punching code right in its stupid fucking face so she can't That's not be how here today. this works, Ryan. That's not how any of it works. <laughs> I've seen... I've seen computer hacking. I can punch code in his face. I would. I've seen computer Sometimes. hacking on TV and virtual reality. I know how it works. So you think we need two keyboards? You need t- no. The no, worst you need- is CSI when there are two people I on one keyboard. I was just going to say you need two people on one keyboard to really do it. Oh, that's then that's when cool. your samurai avatar goes in to pro- do computer programming, then you have to fight the cyber dragon. That's how <sighs> it works. You don't want the black ice to get you. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Together we take on this week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear any spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, and then come on back. Each week one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. And the pick of the week goes to Batman number 31. There were actually a lot of books that could have been the pick of the week, but they all got in a arena and fought and Batman won because Batman always wins. But it was actually a really, really good book. Our companion song for Batman number 31 is The Ballad of Dwight Fry by Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, for those of you who are not familiar, should immediately go and listen to all of his music and watch as many videos as you can. (laughs) He's kind of the original shock jock. He's what Marilyn Manson based almost his entire persona and career on. Uh, The reason I chose this song in particular is it's about a man who's committed to a mental institution and he meets some of the inmates there and it's a a story song about that. And I feel that that really ties in with the very end of here where you get like what I thought was a really great insight from Batman onto what he, the Joker, and the Riddler all have in common. But we'll, we'll get there. So sit back, take a listen, enjoy Alice Cooper. So Batman number 31 is from DC Comics. This is The War of Jokes and Riddles, Part 5. It's written by Tom King, Pencils and Inks by Mikhail Janin, and Colors by June Chung. So, again, we've got Tom King doing a really excellent bit of writing and Mikhail Janin doing some jaw-dropping art on here. It opens up with probably one of the most chilling scenes I've seen with the Joker in this, where he has one of his minions... uh, that he's talking to and asking him if he's going to forget him, if the minion is going to forget the Joker. And he's like, are you going to forget me in a year, in a month, in a day? And the jo- the minion keeps swearing that he won't. And then the Riddler, sorry, pff, bat, Jesus, one of those three. <laughs> <laughs> the Joker kind of turns around and says, knock, knock. And then the minion says, who's there? And then the Joker flips out on him and is like, I thought you said you weren't going to forget me. And, like, pulls out this nasty-ass knife and starts stabbing the shit out of him and while screaming, like, is this a joke to you? <laughs> Which is just... Because, well, they're so conditioned to say who's there because like, he's always doing knock-knock yeah. jokes. It's psychotic and mad and manic and terrifying. And the minion looks like Coulson. Yes. Oh, yeah, I can like see that. Coulson with a short sleeve shirt. But just, I mean, the way they draw this Joker, 
this run has been just Mikhail Janin so can draw the crazy eyes really well. There's almost like a desperation in the Joker's madness in here. Like it's both it's both contained within him, and then when it explodes out, it's violence and messy and chaotic and really awesome to watch. So the fun thing is. The way everybody else draws the Joker is like how everybody thinks Malkavian should be played. How Mikhail Janin draws the Joker is how Malkavian actually should be played. That's cool. I can see that. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Uh, You see Batman and the Riddler are outside the building where the Joker is doing all of this. And they're talking to each other about how there's all these traps and stuff. And the Riddler is telling, you know... They got intel from the Kite Man. Yeah, is telling all his riddles about uh how if there's a bomb next to other explosives the bomb is the thing that explodes first so they should go in and get the joker and then batman lets them know that he has an agent on the outside so the riddler asks him do you have a man on the inside and he's like well not a man and not on the inside and then it cuts over to catwoman uh scaling up the side of the building which is pretty sweet and she gets to the window and looks in on this like horror show with the joker just going to town on this guy with this knife, just stabbing him probably hundreds of times, you know. And he sees her, and he shoots uh, out the window at her, and she goes flying backwards, and this pretty cool explosion of glass, like a very cinematic thing where she goes flying backwards. And she does this thing where she kind of, like, catches herself on one of the ledges on the way down, and then she tells him that she just learned something about the way the Joker has it set up. There's all kinds kinds of traps and stuff, but the windows aren't trapped. So that could be their way in. And that's when motherfucking Kite Man shows up to save the day. <laughs> and it's actually kind of funny because he's trying to rig up all these kites for all of the Riddler's minions. And there's this funny scene with Killer Croc where he's like, so uh, Croc, how much do you weigh? And Killer Croc's like, a lot. <laughs> he's like, could you ballpark it for me? <laughs> you know, And he's like, more than a kite could carry. And then you get this scene of all of the Riddler's minions flying in on kites and crashing through the windows, kind of like a SWAT team uh, going into a building. And they start battling the the Joker. And that's when Batman kind of reveals one of the plans that he has, where Kite Man has modified all of their parachutes to work as like an updraft thing, where they carry people up instead of slowing their descent. They actually power you up. So all of the minions go flying out the building and he's rigged. He's got the bat blimp with Alfred up at the top, catching them all after they pass out from lack of oxygen. So again, Batman always has plans within plans to overcome this. They were going to double cross him. Yeah. Well, and then he was saying, because he knows this is going to be violent and bloody and horrible things are going to happen. And he doesn't want anyone there. And this is the part that I thought was again, where you see Tom King's insight where he says the three of us, you know, the three madmen were alone in the room. And it shows like the Riddler, the Joker, and the Batman. And I like that acknowledgement that Batman knows he's just as crazy as they are. Uh, and it's just this really tense, like, standoff between the three of them. I thought the issue was great. I thought it was really well written. It was funny. The Joker was terrifying. You had the Kite Man stuff, which is, you know, kind of cool to see him get to sort of save the day in his own way. The stuff with Killer Croc was funny. I just, I really like this one. What do you guys think about it? I want to see this as a movie. Yeah. I mean, like, this is the most, the, I mean, the way that they're they're doing the art and the pacing and the layouts, and everything is fucking perfect. But I, I seriously, I want to see this, like, on the big screen. It's so fucking good. 
Uh, and every, like every issue, I'm like, oh, this can't get any better. And I'm like, fuck. It's just so fantastic. Uh, it's just it's really good. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's like when they crash through the window and they say knock, knock. And the Joker's standing there with them, you know, obviously attacking him. He's like, who's there? He like automatically does it. It's like, it's just so classic and simple in that way. Just, I love it that. It hits all the points on a Batman story. It's dark and brooding. The villains are fucking crazy and outlandish. Batman is just fucking Batman in the back with his plans and plans inside plans. Everything is just all kind of there. And like stuff is happening around him and he's just being scary in the background. Yeah, he's just kind of waiting for everything to unfold and then explode into into action. There's also a, a part that kind of shows you how crazy and violent the joker is where once he stabbed that minion to death he cuts off his arm that has a watch on it and he's like why did the man throw the watch out the window he's like he wanted to see time fly and he throws like the severed arm out the window just psychotic and violent and i love it yeah but i really so they have that little flashback where where it reminds you that this whole story is him talking to selena so there's that cutback and then at the end where he's having that that overlay of his conversation with her about, you know, the neck, what comes next is what I need to know if I'm worthy of your love and all that stuff like that. And I just like how it's building this tension. It's like, oh man, it's going to get back. You can see that there's going to be a showdown, but there's like this added kind of layer to it where it has other consequences on the romantic kind of side. And just, you know, it's like building for something more to happen. You know, something like, really I, I like fucked that. up is going to happen. Yeah, especially since it's like, we've seen what's happened so far. There's more? What the fuck? Yeah, and I also liked their, because it kind of, like you said, cuts back to their conversation. It's really good dialogue between them. I think it really helps build their relationship and their kind of playfulness with each other, in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He does so many things so well. He's so effective in the way he writes that you'll need one scene with Killer Croc to nail Killer Croc as a character. You only need a couple pages with Catwoman to nail her completely. I mean, Bruce can probably nail her in less than a page, but, oh, you know. Snap. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey. I'm sure he's going to take in a whole graphic novel for that. <laughs> the huh. slow bat hand. The fanfic. <laughs> right, are you ready to rate? The- I don't know. Was it that the new cartoon came out and it had a pretty uh, graphic scene oh, the, from what Batman I hear? Batman versus Harley Quinn with, the, with yeah. Tim. Or no, was it? Well, I'm not gonna use it's with, ba- it's with, with Nightwing, Richard right? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's just it's good. I'm like we keep saying like every time we read one, I'm like it's just oh my god. <laughs> I'm like I can't go. I keep going. Rather than listen, yeah. Rather than listening to these nerds talk about how breathtaking the writing is and how beautiful the art is, read it. You will not regret it. Even if you don't like Batman. You will like Batman after reading this. Like I don't know how much more I can kiss Tom King's ass. You know, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> that's a good title for the episode. I don't know how much more we can kiss Tom King's ass. <laughs> I think I will give this. I think it suffers a little bit for being a bit of a setup issue, but it is still really, really great. I will give it four and a half. Don't ever apologize for any position you put me in. That's a good line. I like that one. Fucking every week. (laughs) (laughs) That's a sexy ass line. (laughs) No, I'm just like, every week somebody takes my goddamn line. Oh, Go ahead, Carson. I'm going to give it four and three quarters, so I took your war. I'm going to give it four and three quarters. Hell yeah. Oh, shut the hell up. (laughs) That was that that whole panel. (laughs) 
that page. I love that page. All right, why don't you blast us off into space for some scoundrel action? Oh, that would be me. All new Guardians of the Galaxy, number 10, Marvel Comics, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, written by Jerry Duggan, pencils and inks by Aaron Cooter, colors by, oh man, I've, I always mess this up, I've Scorvicina. I think it's I'm going with that. All right. I'm going to say, okay, the eye throws me. All right, this one's a little bit more psychedelic, crazy action, um, but there are some good times in this. We're jumping back to where they're trying to, like, pull one over on the Game Master on part of the collectors. When they remember, like, it's like the very first issue or the end of the very first issue where they're flying into the giant space fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. So we, we're back there now. Like we've caught up with the present. And they, yes, pretty much. Um, Drax is carrying the giant egg that was supposed to be like the, the bounty. And they're having this conversation going in, going, you know, let me do the talking, you know, whatever we're going to do. And like moments after finishing that, like, don't ruin this. Gamora's just like, it's a ruse. It's empty. And he gets like this nervous laugh from Peter. And he's like, uh, and that's like how Rocket calls it. So what are you going to do? You're going to pretty up Gamora's mess? And he's like, nope, fuck it. <laughs> to me, that's so guarded. I, I, I just love that little part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good interplay between them. I still don't understand why Gamora did that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I could see Drax doing that, but that doesn't seem to really fit with her character. Yeah, so she was just like, I think it's more like she just was being impatient. Where Drax is just kind of just obvious. I think Gamora was just being impatient. But the panels were like, <laughs> Star-Lord's just like grabbing his head. He's like, oh my god. But apparently the egg wasn't empty like they thought, and Drax is the one that notices. And all of a sudden, it's the collector, and he just jumps out, and they, him and the game master just start going at it, fighting like elders. It's like one of those birthday cakes with a stripper inside, <laughs> but instead, it's an egg with the collector. And Kirby Bubbles. I like how Star-Lord is, I know you're not about violence anymore, Drax, but how about some violence, some punching to stop the violence? And then the look, the grin so that Drax gets... And he's like, don't be violent. And he's like, uppercuts them both. It it was pretty great. It's like Drax finally finds joy again. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wait, what? I can do that? Yes! <laughs> yes, it was great. It was just like <laughs> being violent to stop violence. It was pretty awesome. What I like about it is Drax finally finds something that he can go full out on without being able to really hurt them permanently, so... It's kind of Buddhist monkish. It was like, look, you need to stop, uh, you know, suffering in the world. How do I do that? I kick some fucking ass. <laughs> but there, but it turns out that the two elders of the galaxy aren't trying to kill each other. It was a test. And, you know, they're hugging, they make up, and then they go into, like, explain mode, where they're explaining to the Guardians what's actually happening. And how, like, you guys can probably explain this better than me. I know we were talking about earlier how something they've noticed something weird has shifted and they want to make sure that certain things weren't changed and people weren't changed. And so that's why they're doing this. They came so close to saying it's all new. It's all different. So close. Yeah. <laughs> so they're talking about what happened in the end of Secret Wars Two, where uh, Reed Richards and well, I guess it's actually Franklin Richards. They kind of like start rewriting the universe and fixing everything. Because technically, the Marvel universe, the six sixteen, ended. Yeah. This is no longer the six sixteen. It's like a remade six sixteen. They made almost everything the same, but they made it so that stuff like Miles. And um, some of the other, like, the ultimate characters can exist in this universe. Like, Better Gwen. Yeah. They, they, like, made it okay. So it's not 
exactly the same thing. Like these guys don't dress like doofs anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they get these you know cool cinematic looking outfits and stuff like that. But it's not the same universe anymore. Everybody in the universe did die. the The Marvel universe, for all intents and purposes, rebooted. It's just that when it rebooted, it came back with most of the same history. I think Miles is one of the only characters that didn't actually die because he was nice to Molecule Man and gave him a sandwich. So he kind of shielded (laughs) him from the rewriting of reality. In the rest of the book, they go on to explain the other elders. So like the contemplator who's missing his head. I'm sorry, I have to add in since I'm covering this. I love the line where like, Star-Lord's like, that's the most metal thing I've ever seen in my life. And he's like, I think I saw that uh, your brother on the side of the van when I was a kid, you know? <laughs> I just love those references. They they make me happy. And then they bring up the gardener and how, like, he's either missing or things not right. And then that all ties, as that goes on, it all ties down to the Infinity Stones. And, you know, and then they bring up, they notice there's something wrong with um, Groot and how he's, like, infected by their brother the gardener's touch which we saw that issue and rocket's like you know that fucker you know basically and they go explain like oh he's poisoned and when they show him he's like freaking like a jolly santa claus looking motherfucker but and then it you know they're talking about well we're gonna get the infinity stones they they, like take a consensus because gomorrah is already on that path because she's obsessed with the soul stone and so they're like oh good we'll all work together we'll find our brothers you'll get what you need and peter and them the guardians being always thanos like blinders are like oh it has to be thanos because that Th- i didn't want to tell you but thanos escaped from nova Corps, and so they're like oh okay it's thanos and infinity stones once again yeehaw let's get going and there was a cool thing where they explain the infinity stones and what it means to the universe and you totally get almost from like volume two that you know peter scene like eternity again kind of panel shot i thought that was a really good explanation of the infinity stones and how they tie into reality yeah agreed but then it flashes to some random planet of a gardener and you see that it really wasn't thanos it's loki starting shit motherfucking and messing with things and basically he's just kind of got insidious and put the seed inside the gardener that kind of twisted him and his perceptions and then that's where we're gonna see what's going on and he has some floor colossus that are twisted and creepy and he's just a crazy madman, old man man. So, did you notice how much they drew the gardener to look kind of like Ego? No, I didn't think so. I thought he more looked like Santa Claus. I, I, I was going to say Santa the, Claus. Like or... So, so like um, Ego from the movie, he, he looks like a broader face. Um, well, I can't remember his name. We have a whole book. Kurt yeah, he Russell? Looks like a broader faced Kurt Russell, but with the hair and the beard and stuff from the, the Guardians 2 movie. I thought he looked a lot like that. Plus, Ego in that was kind of like... Gardner is in here. Also, Ego's not supposed to be an elder, but they it's like they kind of melded the two, but when the person drew this, to me at least, uh, yes, he kind of looks like Santa Claus too, but so did Ego in the movie. I just I thought they looked strikingly similar. Yeah, I thought it was actually the only part about the art that I liked was he went from like Santa Claus or everybody's grandpa to like crazy street prophet in like a few minutes after talking to Loki. I did enjoy that yeah. physical transformation. And, and also the Flora Colossus is at the end. That was kind of cool too. See, I love the art in this because the Guardians is supposed to be this like... I fucking hate the art. This cosmic galactic book. And like uh, a lot of non-US, like the French comics and stuff like that, Mobius or... I don't remember the guy's name, the dude who did Valerian. It's this kind of weird, really line-heavy art. There's like a lot of lines to it. 
It doesn't look like, you know, classic American stuff, but it still looks very nice and artistic. Um, and I think that they're carrying that over because those are generally kind of cosmic-y, not just your standard spandex wearing superhero kind of books. And the Guardians is, is like that. But also, I felt kind of a little Quentin Tarantino-ish now that we're in issue 10 because this has fucking been all over the place with, like, flashbacks and shit. I mean, we're just now getting to the end of the second, or the first issue. book. Yeah. Right? Or, yeah, the first issue in this run. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, shit, everything ties together. And I'm like, it's just, it's fantastically done. But I think the art goes along with that really well. Um, and, and adding it to kind of stand out of, this is not your standard book. See, I think the writing on this is really, really good. Like you said, everything fits together. The characters are written correctly. I just don't like... And it's only the last couple issues, I think, where they switched artists. And I just really don't like it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a quality thing. I think it's more of a taste thing. I think Groot looks terrible. I think Rocket looks pretty yeah, awful. I, I agree. I don't like Groot. Now, the, the other Flora Colossuses look okay. They look kind of sweet. But Groot doesn't look right. And Rocket doesn't look right either. Rocket, I'm, he's a little too solid, I think. He looks kind of like a corgi in that. But other than that, Rocket Rocket is manageable, but Groot with those weird, deep, sunken eyes. eyes with yeah. the little, I don't know. He's just too simplified. I don't really care for their take on him. He's not as bad as like the dreadlock douche older Groot we get in some of the other issues. But it's still not my favorite. But I love how it's all like tied together. And I like how the heroes are assuming what's going on. I like how they're wrong in their assumptions right now. I like, you know, because they're not perfect. But, you know, the Guardians, what they'll do, they'll make do. And they'll be impulsive and figure it out as they go. I felt like so. if you were going to use like Joseph Campbell's like hero's journey, the hero's myth thing. Like they thought they were already heroes on their journey. This is the part where you're revealed into the larger world where they have the elders of the universe explain what's going on with the, with the, the stones and, and all of that. And I thought that that was really well done. I really love that. I'm, I thought that was f like freaking fantastic. And I totally agree with you on the hero's journey there. It also kind of felt to nerd it up a little bit. I mean, how can you nerd it up more if you're going talking about Joseph Campbell? <laughs> but, um, it felt like, uh, in D&D when you're in the inn in between adventures and you finally find out, okay, this is what you've really done now that you're, you know, level 15. L let's go do some shit. Yeah. I mean, you've already fought Thanos and stuff, but this is what's really happening. Exactly. I, I agree with that. And I liked the part where they were talking about the Infinity Stones and they were like, well, if everything's different, maybe the Infinity Stones don't even exist anymore. And then the elders of the universe were like, they exist because we exist. You know, that they are what powers yeah, like, the Oh, universe. sweet summer child. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. He's like, how could I explain it to someone of your intellect? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was good. I love when he reaches his hand in there and and uh, Quill starts, well, tripping for the lack of a better yeah. word. Uh, this, and I know Ryan's not going to get this because he doesn't watch Rick and Morty. But um, you know the song "Goodbye Moon Men." Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, like that started playing in my head. It's um, <laughs> it's from uh the guy, one of the guys from Flight of the Concords, does a guest voice on an episode of Rick and Morty, and he's he's this other dimensional being who incidentally looks like the the uh, Infinity Stones floating in a cloud. Um, oh. <laughs> but he sings this song every time he like reaches into Morty's head that's Goodbye Moon Men and it's just this like it's that scene right there. Yeah, I can see that. This is awesome. That's like, to me I I instantly went to the part in the movie where 
you know, ego does the, and he says eternity. It's like, that's kind of like that. <laughs> I love how malleable also that the elders are in this book. When they punch, they get the T1, they get the, the metal, you know, like kind of Terminator look when they get punched. Right. Because they're, they're not just, they're not solidified reality, right? They're not bone and muscle and stuff like that. They are beings and they can just warp around like reality can warp around if it has that flexibility. And I thought that that was a fantastic detail. That usually they're just like, oh, these are just people, but they're aliens kind of thing in previous comics. And I think this is as much true Guardians as Tom King does true Batman. That's a pretty high compliment from you. I really love this book. <laughs> like like we said earlier, it this is a really in some books it's a really hard to pick. Like this is a great book. Um I, I agree that Batman was the best, but this is like right behind it. Like this one was important. It's weird because I kind of snuck up on you. Like I started reading because it's Guardians. Obviously, I like Guardians, so I was picking it. And at first it didn't seem it was just like a big heist and it was oh they have a Galactus spot. Then as it goes, it started to reveal that there's a lot more good like hidden gems and stuff that are important to the overall marvel universe kind of splintered into here so it kind of snuck up on you about how what valid i don't know if validity is really the right word but you know what's going on you know it's explaining things that are happening that you weren't expecting which i think so i'm gonna give this four and a half that's the most metal thing i've ever seen i will give it i feel like we're standing right on the edge of greatness this was almost my pick of the week but i feel like we're on the edge of greatness, but we're not quite there, and I don't like the art. But even with all of that, I'll still give it four and a quarter. I am growing. I'm going to give it 4.7. It's it's all connected. Nice. Yes. Thinking of weird things being connected, though, we're going to head over to uh, a kind of co-book. Uh, not kind of. It's a co-book. It's Wonder Woman Conan number 1 by DC Comics and Dark Horse Comics. Uh, a Crowd with Mercy, written by Gail Simone, pencils by Aaron Lopesti, inks by Matt Ryan, colors by Wendy Broom. This is, at a top glance, you think, oh, this is just kind of a cash grab because it's, let's take these two, you know, fighters with swords and put them in a book. But it, and, and for, you know, in some levels, kind of is, um, it gives you, uh, to start off with, uh, of kind of a flashback of Conan when, you know, he was a young child with his father, uh, through the, the frozen hills of Samaria, which are basically Scotland. And he meets this young girl, uh, and he just, she captured his imagination. And this is a bit, a little bit of, uh, of, uh, retcon um because she doesn't exist in the books or anything i've ever read of conan um but i'm okay with that um and and her name is yana hey i it's it's canon that you haven't heard every conan story no no i've no you've only heard the ones that have been written down uh this is true conan didn't get everything written down before robert e howard died because he stood behind him (laughs) with an axe basically that's actually, that is canon. Um, Howard said that he felt like Conan was standing behind him with an axe forcing him to write down his stories. Um, so this story, it, it basically has a little bit of a flashback, and then you find Conan, who is constantly underdressed <laughs> everywhere he goes, um, but he's in these, like, m- just frozen uh, mountains, and he's just wearing, like, a tunic. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, dude, you're going to freeze your butt off. Um, but there's these uh, other barbarians who I think are Vanir, um, and they're uh, about ready to torture somebody. The, the dude said he's going to burn his jaw off. Frankly, I, I, I don't think that would have happened, but something 
equally as horrible um, because he he basically Conan is like, "What the fuck's going on here?" And he's like, "I'll save you. I'll pay you." And he's like, "Oh, okay. I don't mind killing for money." I think um, it was so the I think was, it was the harem or brothel that really won him over. <laughs> he's like, uh, yeah, he, yeah. Because oh yeah, at cool. first he's like, do "I this. don't give a single fuck about you or your problems." And then the guy's like, I have money. He's like, let it never be said Conan could not be merciful with the right persuasion. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that is fantastic. I was a little, because Gail Simone, I can't picture writing Conan, but then I start reading this. I'm like, oh shit, she can write some Conan. <laughs> Gail Simone is a fucking great writer, man. Clean room. She is. <laughs> so. a, she, this is true, but I've never seen her write something like Conan, right? Because Conan is a very particular story. You, you, you can either write Conan really well or you can write Conan really fucking bad. <laughs> There's very little middle ground. Um, so basically, he saves the guy and they head down into um, one of the billion fucking flavor cities. It's just, it's just like just walled cities that exist in the Hyborian Age, and you know you get little flashbacks of the 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 dead bodies, and there's these crows that come down and they're fucking talking and i'm like is this Hunan and moonin um we find out later not exactly who they are but we get a little glimpse of what they are i love that panel those sexy feathers in the right places girl i thought they set it up really <laughs> well effective. what they are it, it is it's just we we still we have a mystery about what what is this shit but then we he gets down into there and then we click over to the witch woman um and it's basically obvious as to who this is going to end up being because her rags are torn <laughs> and like muddy. She's in star form. She's got stars on the like loincloth that's like ripped and, and hanging, but her colors are like dirty, muted versions of Wonder Woman's colors. And like she's got the eagle uh, in mud across her chest, and on her head there's a star in mud or blood. You don't know. Um, they've got her like in chains, but she's still got her bracers on. Um, she's basically like this, you know, this wild woman that they've got as a centurion and they're like, throw a whole bunch of dudes at her and down into the, uh, the Coliseum and they're shooting arrows at her. She's blocking them with the bows. She takes their weapons and kicks their fucking asses. And, but Conan sees her and he's like, it can't be. It's this girl that I saw one time <laughs> when I was like, nine. she had dark hair. This lady has dark <laughs> hair. Must be the same. <laughs> obviously the same so (laughs) he he basically you know we we watch the battle um she wins it they reveal she's the warrior witch and she's like give me what i demand and he sends like fucking every one of his guards down there to take her down because that's what you have to fucking do and then we see the the crows up on the top and uh, as uh, carissa uh, explained you see them turn into I don't know if they're were crows or they call it the corvide, um, but that's just like the term for right, what corvid, a crow is. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know exactly what they are, other than they're they're crows that turn into barely dressed women, which fits completely in a Conan book. Because I'm like, eh, okay, sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I liked it. They um, were cool. They were cool. Yeah, that that's the requirement. Look, cool. covered in blood, pretty sexy, yeah. barely dressed. <laughs> yeah, blood everywhere. So they throw. Uh, Wonder Woman back in there, and you see her dreaming, and her dream is just she straight up is Wonder Woman in her dream. We, you know, and then and then it switches back over to Conan being Conan. He finds a little kid who'd asked him for money or for food earlier. I think it was money. Asked him for coppers, uh, and he's like, "Hey, I need you to help me get into this place, and I'll help you out a little bit." 
Uh, and he saved the kid from some ruffians. But Conan basically sneaks down into the prison, and he's like, you know, who are you? And then she just straight up says, I am Wonder Woman. Yes, that is what I am called. And he's like, Crom. So they, you know, they talk it out a little bit, and then the bastards get in there, and the only way you can really take down Conan is if you take him by surprise, and they thunk him across the back of his head with a, a mace. Um, and then we get to the end, and like, oh, you two love each other so much? Fine, I'm going to chain you together, and you guys can fight it out to the death. Uh, and then that's where we're at at the end of the book. I felt that this was a pretty good Conan book, and it has Wonder Woman in it. Um, the Wonder Woman, we didn't really get much of a glimpse other than she's a really good fighter, and that they've done some establishing work. Um, I was worried about some of the pictures that they dropped for this book, because the cover um, is not terribly well drawn, and some of the uh, promotional art is not terribly well drawn, but the actual pencils in the book are pretty good. They're straight up, they're good Conan art, but they're also good Wonder Woman art. They're, they fit perfectly for this this kind of storyline. You're not going to get super deep with a Conan book unless you actually know, understand Conan. It gets deep, but not always. Sometimes you're just there for some swords and some sorcery. We got both of those things, and, and then we got Wonder Woman thrown into the mix as well. I was satisfied with this book. It's not... I'm not looking for it to be like Batman 31 or Guardians Galaxy number 10, but I felt it it stood up this on its own two feet. This book gave me everything I want, just like you said, from a Conan book. It managed to integrate Wonder Woman in, in a kind of believable way. I think that is really good because they don't spend too much time trying to explain it. They're just like, she's here, deal with it. Here's some tits and bloods and swords. <laughs> like, welcome to Conan, you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I thought those crows were really awesome when they were like eating the eyeballs and like bickering amongst each other. And then you see them turn into the hot chicks and it just felt like a good Conan story. This didn't feel like a licensed book, you know, that are sometimes kind of crappy where they try and shoehorn either Conan into a Wonder Woman story or Wonder Woman into a Conan story that they both fit into each other's stories here in a way I wasn't really expecting for it to happen. It feels like it's almost like an alternate, like, what if Wonder Woman had just, instead of coming to, you know, our world during either World War II or World War One, or, you know, whenever, what continuity you want to use, what if she landed on, you know, Conan's world, you know, instead? I like when she has the flashback that the art looks much cleaner and brighter when you're on Themyscira. I just, I really liked it. I thought it landed on every cylinder that you want to hit. I was, I thought this was going to be disastrous and like really painful to read. I was worried too. <laughs> Cause I, I did too. I did too. But yeah, no, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought the, the mud splatters and stars was kind of cheesy and hokey, you know, but I, I get it. They want to make sure you knew that was Wonder Woman. You know, if she's going to be in here, they want to make sure. And her just flat out saying she's Wonder Woman, I also thought was kind of strange. But other than that, I really liked it. But though for me, though, the crows were, was my favorite part. Gail Simone will always throw in some creepy ass shit, you know? She's really good at that. Yeah. I could I could have done without the lasso and the shark thing. <laughs> I so. saw that and I thought of you. <laughs> well, okay, so is there a backstory here? <laughs> Carissa hates sharks. <laughs> I'm oh, terrified okay. of them. Like, even drawn ones bother me. <laughs> It was drawn real. Oh, that's probably not a yeah. good thing. Yeah. So whenever I see a really cool shark, I know just who to send it to. <laughs> I skipped over that page. So Shark Week is not your fan. Or oh, yeah. Time. No, I, I, I remember when it is and I avoid that channel at all costs. So uh, if anybody listening nice. wants to make some fan art right. for us. <laughs> By the way, we would love fan art or any any sort of response at all. That's true. Comment. We have buckets. opinions. You should, too. <laughs> 
It's his comic books. You're supposed to argue. <laughs> you don't with think us. those feather bikinis are sexy? Tell us. I mean, you're wrong, but tell us. <laughs> we'll tell you how you're wrong. <laughs> That's what the internet is for. All right. So I, like I said, I'm I'm not expecting like one of the greatest books of all time, but I thought this was pretty super. I thought it it lived up to everything. Yeah, it was entertaining. I think. Um, I really like Gail Simone's work, and I didn't know that she was the one writing this when I first saw that we were having to read it. Hence, me thinking it was going to be I disastrous. Was in the same boat as you, I didn't know. And then first, <laughs> but then page, I'm like, oh, it's- yeah. First page, I saw Gail Simone, yeah. and I'm like, it's fucking saved. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, okay. You're like, oh, thank yeah, God. Exactly. No, literally, I was like, oh my God, thank God, because she's great. I love her stuff. So, and it was it. it, it, it this was actually done pretty good really well i mean it, as well as i thought it could be you know it's done i was surprised awesome yeah i'm gonna give it 4.25 because i really did like it i declare this honorable combat to the warrior witch i will give it four by crom uh, i too give it four they aren't without their charms all right, I'm going to take us over to the Adventures of Hair Gel Hulk in the totally awesome <laughs> Hulk, Hulk number 23, Blast Off, from Marvel Comics, written by Greg Pak, pencils and inks by Ibram Robertson, colors by Nolan Woodard. So this is both building off of generations and going into kind of legacy, and the two are getting a very classic and one of my favorite Marvel stories of all time kind of repeating here for the new generation. So it starts out with Miss Marvel and Silk uh, being invited to one of Cho's parties. And they're talking about how they've had like all these adventures together, but they don't really hang out. And there's a, just a really nice interplay between those characters that I liked a lot. I like how they're wearing their costumes, but like dressed down with their like street clothes. It's very, it's kind of very strange. Yeah. Uh, I also noticed that Miss Marvel looks a little different here, but she doesn't look wrong. And the way that they draw her. So, usually if a character has a big departure from how they look, it looks wrong to me. And this was just different. Like, I still was totally fine with it. She looks she older. Look older. She doesn't look like a teenager in here. She looks like she's, like, maybe a sophomore in college or something. But anyway, so they end up at Cho's apartment. And he's in the kitchen cooking and trying to do too many things at once. So there's, like, pots that are bursting into flames and all this stuff. And T'Challa is there. And I like that Miss Marvel and Silk are both like starstruck by him. Like it's like meeting a celebrity for them, you know? I think it's more the six time People's Magazine Sexiest Man Alive <laughs> thing. Yeah. I think it was the two time Time Magazine Person of the Year. <laughs> well, it also reminded me a lot of Game of Thrones when they introduced Daenerys and you get all of her titles. Because you had like T'Challa and then it was like mm-hmm. boom, 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 like all of his stuff. I thought that they were trying to call back to that a little bit. Well, not call back, I guess, maybe an homage to that. So. Everyone else's were really short. Yeah. So you find out that uh, Cho is having everyone over for dinner for like fusion Korean catfish tacos, which sound fucking delicious. Uh, and he's got like big jars of kimchi that he's putting on them. And just, it's a really good scene of like food. Like when. It's the comic book version of almost like a cooking show. And then I was reading it and I was getting hungry while I was reading it. And then there's this scene of them all just like nomming down on the food about how good it is. And they all ate like 37 tacos and, you know, they're having a good time. And then T'Challa, like being the more experienced like person is like, all right, Cho, why did you all call us here? You know, it wasn't just to have tacos. And that's when Cho kind of going back to the generations, the lesson he learned there about the Hulk being 
this monster that he really can't control, and he wants his friends there to help him when he goes to confront it. So, in kind of grand, comic books get a little ridiculous, but awesome at the same time. They end up going to the moon, so that when he turns into the Hulk, he's not going to hurt anybody. And they all kind of, like, psychically link into his dream vision of the Hulk in the trunk of the car, which is the metaphor they've been using for a really long time for it. I think it's a really good metaphor, too. It's like the... Mm-hmm. Green caddy yeah, with the duct tape. one, I think, is what the... <laughs> License plate says it's kind of like duct duct tape clothes. So they let the Hulk out. And the Hulk is not really like the monstrous Hulk you might expect. He's actually much more of like a manipulator in here. Kind of like asshole Hulk. Where he's telling, you know, Cho is telling him, hey, I'm not angry. My sin is pride. You know, you've got the wrong guy. And he's like, really? You don't think you're angry? And he tells him how, like, all of your friends are going to betray you, your sister hates you, because, you know, your parents died and you couldn't stop it. And then he's he's just trying to divide everyone, which is interesting. I wouldn't think that would be the Hulk's normal, like, tactic. And Cho is getting more and more upset as this goes on, because the Hulk is just, like, finding every nerve and poking it. And he starts freaking out and hulks out and starts, like, slamming the ground on the moon... And they're physically, the other characters are in like this spaceship in orbit around the moon, psychically projecting into his mind. And he's actually hitting the moon so hard that he's going to like break the moon in half, which is fucking awesome. Like Richter and, scale 123.2. And, and I'm like, holy yeah. fuck. Yeah, because T'Challa is like observing yeah. all this. He's, you know, keeping tabs. And, you know, the Earth needs the moon. It would screw up our tides and a lot of stuff. Yeah. So. But I thought it was just a really cool way to reinforce that the Hulk is super, super strong and super, super dangerous. So he actually has, and this reminds me a little bit, I know you're going to hate this comparison, Matt, to what um, Clint told was told by Banner to do, and that Cho told T'Challa that if he freaks out to kind of initiate this next phase of the plan, which is to send these like nanobots down that form this prison spaceship around Cho and blast him off into space. And you get this like, oh my God, T'Challa, I can't believe you did that. Don't you remember what happened the last time we we shot him into space? And then you get like return to Planet Hulk as the next thing. So they're kicking off the Planet Hulk storyline, which if you haven't read, it is in my, I would say top three or five storylines for comics ever. It's literally one of my favorite Marvel books. It's really, really good. You should check it out. And it looks like we're going to get a kind of legacy version of this where we're repeating the key stories for these characters. Just in time I really for like Thor this. Ragnarok. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of course, you want to reinforce, you know, essentially what that Thor Ragnarok movie is, which is Planet Hulk. So or at least part of it. I thought the art in this was rad. The Hulk, both of them, they look so big and menacing. I thought the writing was really good because it was both dark when the Hulk is there and he's having to confront his like personal demons, but it was light and airy when they were having fun. Um, I just, I really enjoyed this. I thought this did everything I wanted out of this Hulk book. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of when they try and like retread some of the storylines because it's not done very well, but I have some confidence that this will be. What do you guys think of it? Um, I think, I mean, I was surprised someone picked Totally Awesome Hulk, but we seem to fall off a lot of our radar, uh, though I do really like 
Cho as the Hulk. Um, I'm glad this was picked up because the books in that in this run have been kind of hit and miss sometimes. But this one I did think was done really, really well. I like seeing heroes when they're like off the clock and they're interacting with each other. I think that's really nice. It has like levity and like, you know, it's just a good time. And yeah, um, I actually like I usually am wary when they redone redo classic storylines. But I feel like you said, I feel like this one is going in a direction where I'm actually not as wary of it. it. Like, it actually seems like it might be really interesting. And so I'm like, oh, I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I agree. It hit literally every single one of the points that I like to have hit in a Hulk book. Um, I think the reason why this Hulk is different, why he's talking and, and all that is, I mean, Cho points it out. His weakness is, or his sin is not anger. His sin is pride, and this is what happens when the Hulk is founded on pride. He's he's po he's poking at Cho at all of his pride points and trying to undermine his sense of self by like all these people, you know, all they do is laugh at you. This is pride talking because he's trying to evoke that that energy in Cho to try to you know get control. Basically, this is the Hulk because the Hulk is basically a demon inside of whoever becomes the Hulk, who tries to force, you know, your baser instincts out. And and Cho verbalizes it, you know, his his pride. And then he's just pride unleashed. Because, like, like, to that point, it's just like, his he takes pride in not being yep. angry. And so, therefore... Yeah, it just yeah. He loses control of that. And it's just that unleashed thing. And I like that he... Because it wasn't necessarily... I mean, World War Hulk... Um, or not World War Hulk. The Hulk... Maybe that was come after later. He came, that was oh, when he came back. Oh God! If we get Banner back, and then we have two Hulks fighting each other, oh yes. Um, <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think that'll happen because in this one, it's not just T'Challa sending him off because he like didn't think he could handle it. I think this is T'Challa and Cho's plan together to basically throw the nanobots in there just in case he loses control of the situation. So it, we're gonna have a, it's a game yeah, we're gonna have very different planet hulk story than i think we had last time I mean, we can't help but have that because the other planet is destroyed <laughs> yeah i think it'll be interesting as to what happens you know when he gets out there hopefully he doesn't come back with children because that'll be weird that would be gross because he's not that old <laughs> he's not that he's not terribly mm -hmm. that old I, I agree i love when you get the you know hang up the cape and just have some normal time with superheroes that's why i love the giffen uh, Justice League International books from the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. I, I love that sort of thing. We just don't get that enough in comics because it's always just, let's go hit the bad guy. I um, agree. And I love I those love books. Uh, so I, it, it hit every point that I wanted it to hit um, and then exceeded that expectation. I thought it was fantastic. I'm getting tired uh, of saying that this week. This <laughs> is right? a really good week. Uh, I will give this four uh, pictures of kimchi. Ah, damn you. I'm going to give it four six times sexiest man alive. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, 4.25. I mean, damn it, T'Challa. Don't you remember what happened the last time someone shot the Hulk into space? Rah! And he'd probably say something smug back. Speaking of remembering, what's the next book? I'm having a hard yeah. time recalling. I don't know. Huh. Something, oh, something. Well, let me help you out there. It's Doctor Strange, number 25. Marvel Comics, written by John Barber. Past art by Kevin Holland, Tina Dexter, Nolan, Tina Dexter Vines, 
Mark Morales, Terry Pilat, Tom Palmer, and Dan Brown. Current art by Juan Figuri and Java Targagalia. Which I never say right, but I like how I say it. Anyways, so yeah, this is weird. So this is not a Dennis Hopeless Doctor Strange, nor Donnie Cates was just taking it over. So this was some like weird intermission, I guess. Though the artwork, um, it still feels pretty much in meshes well with what we've have gotten recently. You know, the last I agree. But it starts off with yeah. Um Zelma and Steven are having breakfast now as Zelma's getting used to her new well, not really getting used to, <laughs> but she's eating her new dietary supplements eyeballs of and the tentacles. grossness of eyeball natures. Yeah. And not liking it. She wants waffles. And you know, her and Steven are having a conversation, then all of a sudden she turns into this weird three eyed monster with kinda like Spider Woman glasses on and just starts attacking at Steven and he goes outside and everyone else is like a weird monster of some sort and he's like, you know, WTF and he doesn't want to hurt them with his axe because, you know, they're still people, it's not their fault, they're monsters. And so but he keeps going, This is reminding me of something and you get these really cool flashbacks of OG Doctor Strange, which I liked of a time where it happened with um, uh, Clea and Wong. And you get, you know, these panels go back and forth where you're basically kind of retelling the story. The Wong werewolf, thumbs up, <laughs> dig it. <laughs> um, and this whole time he's ha he's trying to say, why is this so familiar? What's going on? And it's a lot of the, I don't want to hurt people. And you get a lot of panels of him trying to avoid them. And this all leading him to this, like, well, in the, original of uh, the flashbacks it's like this huge citadel which he's like that wasn't reality in this current version where it's happening the citadel is a mental hospital and you know he's fighting then all of a sudden he remembers and it clicks in his head about this time back in the past where this little girl was like assumed with power and she didn't know how to like absorb or take in the power and so it and it really it fed off her memories and so she shows pictures of her like watching horror movies so the fact that all these people are turning into like horror movie monsters like the werewolf and stuff like that would make sense but the moment he remembers what happened he's hit with like a psychic blast or a mystical blast i'm not sure oh mystic energy bolt is actually how it's said in the book and we see the little girl now all grown up and very nico monoro dressed like but you know she's saying oh you're surprised to see me again and it clicks when steven's head that the re the moment he remembered the girl is when this the adult version of this girl gets her power back and you get this neat sequence of him in his memory and him like trying to like how he formed the spell and everything like that but it made him forget and when he forgot it it forgot like the point of the power and so she lost her powers and so, so she's super bitter <laughs> and not liking that she's like well, you know you screwed me over i'm gonna turn around everyone else's memories and make them hate you and come after you and everything so basically affects everything he loves and holds dear basically typical villain shit we're gonna take everything from you and then she like just goes away saying wait you know i have all this power i'm gonna go and do some stuff and then all of a sudden everything kind of just seems normal and no one remembers and so he's just kind of going with it and zelma's face hurts because you know he whacked her with a stop sign but yeah it's it was it's kind of strange to me it has some cool parts with like the memories and i love the flashback but i'm not really sure where they're going with that discuss well there's a couple i got a couple points but do you want to go matt before me or i don't want to steal your thunder if you you know what's doing thunder we're not doing thor this week what are you talking about i i thought it was a pretty book it's meant to be kind of a one-off story which we don't get that terribly too much in, in comics much anymore um it's a one-off story that kind of moves the background plot 
uh, along of, hey, remember, magic got destroyed, it's trying to make its comeback, shit happened because of that. So it fed off of what's happening in the main, like, long-time story of Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. But it was a good, like, one, it was a good callback, so we got a little bit of legacy in there. Eh? Eh? And then we got, uh, you know, f- f- flashbacky goodness with the red cape. But I thought it was also, it was good solid uh character building um you had dr strange uh, the way he had to, to kind of get out of this whole thing and stop all this shit from happening is he had to be humble he had to not be that person he used to be back in the day that basically caused the current day problem because of her rage that you know uh, of taking her powers away back then it, it fixed the situation at the time but it didn't fix the actual problem Right. Um, he just took the easy way out, uh, and and his way of fixing everything now was atoning for that. Oh uh, yeah, that that was a strong panel. The fact that you know character that's usually again so prideful, you know, coming out and I like that yeah, actual character growth. See, he was wrong. Yeah. yeah, and I appreciate that because you don't really get a lot of character growth in uh, comics uh, or specifically Doctor Strange stuff as well. So I, I just I thought I thought that was really well. Um, really well done. I like the fact that all of the stuff where it's him, you know, seeing the monster people, he's got his third eye open. That's always nice. Yeah. So like, I like that little detail. They're, they're being respectful of what this is supposed to be and not just doing, Oh, look at this crazy shit kind of comics. Um, and and I, I appreciate that with, you know, what we've got going here. I, I was, I was very, I wasn't super impressed, but I was, I was very pleased by this. It, I'm going to say it again. It hit all my points. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a really good Doctor Strange book. And it did, I think what it needs to do is it's, you know, that middle book in between creative staff. So you you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both. And there you have Doctor Strange number 25. So I'll start with, with the good. I think the art in here is really good. It takes a shit ton of people to do the past stuff, but it really looks like a late 70s or 80s comic. Doctor Strange comic. I think that that is done really well. It does. Um, so I, I liked that, and I liked the break between it. And like you were saying, until I was writing out who did it, I didn't necessarily know that they had switched artists. Like, I think there is a current-time Doctor Strange art style that people are sticking to really well, so it doesn't seem to disrupt. And that yes. makes me happy. At first, when I first, I really first like started it. Doctor Strange way back in when they did the all-new, I didn't like the art style. Thought it was weird, but it's really grown on me. Like, if it, that's not the art style, it's not Doctor Strange to me. Unless you go back... Oh, you mean the beginning of Jason Aaron's run? Yeah, the Bacalo stuff back on, like, Doctor Strange number one, which I think we reviewed, and we said it looks different, you know? You really liked it, Matt. I was like, this is weird. But it has definitely grown on me. I've come to appreciate uh, the Bacalo style of art in here. So that was good. The writing, I don't want to say that it was bad, necessarily. It kind of felt like... After Jason Aaron and after Dennis Hopeless, this feels like a C-plus grade of work here. It's almost like... I totally like, agree. Like, they write so mm-hmm. naturally, and this just doesn't feel as flows as well. That's a little hard. Well, I'm guys. putting him against two... I don't know John Barber, but it, that's like saying, this guy's not as good as Alan Moore or Grant Morrison. <laughs> like fuck that oh i can see I that point it was really too. good i don't know who john barber is but i thought this was really well done you can't say this sucks compared to two great writers well i th- i think that what it I suffers it from 
is that this is clearly a one-shot and it doesn't, especially because it deals with memory, doesn't feel like it's going to really matter. Like there are, story-wise won't matter. Character-wise, there's growth and development that happens and that stuff's written really well. So it might be the format of the story that I'm reacting to rather than the writing talent. But regardless, the final product is not as good and noticeably not as good as the two previous grandmasters of writing that have come before us, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, because like Dennis Hopeless and Jason Aaron just added in some some humor that that counterbalanced a lot of it, and this was seriously lacking that little yep. bit of humor, I think, which I really like. It doesn't have to be yuck yuck all the time, but just that little bit of like kind of clever, funny dialogue goes I a long did, way. I agree. I, I did laugh. There was there still, still some. some. Like I did, I the did. Waffles. The waffles was funny. Getting hit in the face with a street mm -hmm. sign that was pretty funny. Um, but it wasn't. It didn't have that same light airiness to it that counterbalances the darkness you get with Doctor Strange. This just felt too serious. I think. Um, and I'm not saying it's bad. I just it's noticeable after two greats that we get a pretty good. It's like it's. Oh yeah, I'm not. It's like a generic like store brand soda. It's not bad. I don't have any complaints. But it's just oh, off one step. Yeah, I don't think it's shitty. I'm not saying shitty. I just no. preferred Hopeless and Jason Like I Aaron. said, C plus, <laughs> better than average. And what we got from the others is A or A minus. You know, it's noticeably different. <laughs> you can do better. I've seen you apply do better. yourself. <laughs> you just didn't study enough. Yeah, you need to apply yourself. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on it. It's is overall pretty decent. It's also doing that better. my favorite storyline. was better than so. the writing. The... Uh, character development is better than the plot. I'm gonna give it three and a quarter. Old me would never have the strength to say this. I was wrong. I will give it 3.95. In the old days, we used to use magic to make waffles. <laughs> <laughs> I will give it three and a half. My jaw hurts. It feels like somebody hit me in the face with a street sign. <laughs> Nice. All right. I'd like to say, speaking of getting hit in the face with a street sign, but that didn't happen. Um, so next we go with Big Trouble in Little China, Old Man Jack number one, uh, published by Boom Studios, written by John Carpenter and Anthony Birch, pencils and inks by Jorge Corona, colors by Gabriel Cassetta. Uh, I initially picked this book because it literally the, the cover that I saw looked like it was a pastiche in the right word, but a, a, an homage to Old Man Logan, which... I think it's intended to be, but you've got our our ageless hero <laughs> from um, Big Trouble in Little China, um, Jack Burton, just kind of strolling in the the sunset uh, with his knife and his uh, I don't know what the hell gun that is, but it's the same gun that he had back there. I mean, he's dressed pretty much the same, but on his T-shirt he's got David Lopan. He's got a you know a, a just a casual shirt or like a lounge shirt. Uh, not buttoned up uh, with his, you know, his tank on underneath. The The story is basically, it, it kicks back and forth a little bit, um, but apparently at some point in time, I mean, the first bit of it is Jack Burton talking to himself because that's what Jack Burton does, but it's in silhouette, so you can't really see him. Uh, you see, it, basically, he's wandering around to pick up some beer. Beer magically poofs back. There's just strange shit happening in the background because there's just... Flame, like a wall of flames in the background. But I don't think about that. You, you don't, yeah, you don't think about it. Because he's just Jack Burton, Jack Burton, Jack Burton, Jack Burton. And then you see him, and it's old him. He's talking into his CB radio, but 
it's just the cable <laughs> hanging down. Yeah. But it's literally because Jack Burton in the movie he was constantly monologuing. He's a trucker. His basically his retirement is he sits in his mansion with his beers. Nudie mags. Don't get the nudie mags. Oh, all the great literature and bookstores Uh, that are in town. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Um, But when he dreams, he dreams of a demon uh, that apparently it sounds like he was the one that let him out. But he's having basically nightmares of this. Uh, And then he hears a voice actually talk back on the the cut (laughs) CB radio. And he's like, crazy ghost voice. And they're, like, taunting him, trying to get him to come. I'm no ghost, and you are not insane. I'm a very attractive woman who requires a hero. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I love. holy shit. <laughs> so we get Ego. I mean, Jack Burton. <laughs> um, he basically, he's standing, he's like, I'm going to come save you. And it's just, from here on out, it's him. He gets his truck out. Uh, and I, I think it's probably seen better days, but it's just straight up the truck from the movie. You know, he comes out of the the garage that he's got it stored in, uh, and he's driving through the wall of flames that's basically walling off the fucking devastation from him, which I guess where he's living is kind of his payoff for the hellpocalypse that they call it. And he, he doesn't even realize that all this shit has happened. But this is all the crap that happens, um, you know, since Qingdai, the demon god of the east, was unleashed upon the earthly realms. And, and the, the voice says, no one knows how or why. And he's like, I, I know literally nothing about that. <laughs> yeah. That's Jack Burton. He's he's a scamp, basically. You know, he gets into all of this trouble and shit. And, like, otherworldly fucking demons. And I'm like, how did this trucker get in the middle of all of this shit? And he's still stuck there in his future. But the world has kind of suffered because of stuff that he may or may not have done. And I think it, it kind of makes it clear that he did it. Um, but the, the, like the voice keeps trying to get him to come along and he's in like basically the Chinese afterlife as it's destroyed earth. Because I'm going to tell you the East has more terrifying things than the West will fucking ever have. There's like hundreds of hells and they all have different specific uses. And we get to see a couple of them in this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> So he basically, it's so funny. He jumps down a pit, and, and they're talking about these copper pillars. Um, so he, he gets there, and the the copper pillars are just some pipes that are sticking out of the ground. Uh, and he's a dude, and he goes, "Ow, this hurts a lot." Um, which is apparently the Chinese punishment for vengeful arsonists. That's specific. <laughs> and, and the voice goes, "We don't mess around when it comes to hells." And he goes, "Wait, so you're buxom, blonde, and Chinese?" And, and the voice goes, yes. Works for me. Works for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just jumps down this hole with the tow line from his truck and the fucking CB radio. Yeah. Um, but he's got, like, his boots, his jeans. The, just It's straight up Jack Burton. And he lands down there. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> there's a, a demon. <laughs> it's like, well, this ain't what I expect. This is yeah. just a fucking kitchen. So this is the house of agony? <laughs> yes. I will be your tormentor for all eternity. That's more like it. This is the house, like you said, this is the house of agony. He goes, oh, yes. The house of agony that encompasses many hells, of which this is only the first. Hey, hey you thirsty? Oh, now that you mention it, kind of. So apparently, it's, the ice machine is broken. Because this particular room your of room, hell... <laughs> your water will be tepid for all of eternity. At best. Ah. 
<laughs> it's like yeah, the house of minor inconveniences yeah. or something like that. Minor discomforts. discomforts. Yeah, minor discomforts. And he wanders through it and he's like, uh, what is it? Here you will spend an eternity suffering as metal door handles static shock your fingers. You receive a text replies from girls you're attracted to that only read, okay. What does, <laughs> what does it this mean? mean? Your waiter, upon handing you your food, will tell you to enjoy it and you will respond, you too? Oh God! Oh God! What have I done? <laughs> but Burton's like, wait, that's it? What kind of nanny pamby is this? <laughs> I've seen IKEA is more hellish than this place. What? But, but <laughs> he goes through and fixes it all. He oh. fi- just literally un just just walks through, just slapping things basically. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, and he's like, I'm gonna tell you how I blow my nose, and he goes. Let's go. And he goes, I use my hand. And it just destroys the demon. Like, he rips his clothes off. It's like, no! But he wanders basically down into another level of hell, where there's this horse-faced demon. It's the hell for dudes who creep on women. <laughs> you interrupted my like, creeping. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> um, you will die for this insult. So Jack throws his knife. It misses the, the horse-faced demon. And he goes and kind of, I think he meant to kick him, but he ends up kind of slamming into him with his head. Does he like slip on poo or something like that? Uh, maybe no. or water. He or just slips. He just he slips, and then he drives the the horse demon back onto his knife, which is somehow stuck, like handle wise into the wall. And don't it just question it too much. The the demon through the chest. <laughs> don't yeah, don't question it. And then we find out the voice. Um, and it's like, wait a minute, didn't you say you were blonde? And then you see the voice turn around, and we see that it is not some buxom blonde Chinese babe. It's David Lopin! Lopin! In the flesh. Um, so, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Big Trouble in Little China. Me too. It's Me crazy, too. It's some crazy Jack Carpenter, or John Carpenter shit. And I love that this is written by John Carpenter. This, exactly, this I saw that, feels, I'm like, oh, dude, they got him to write yeah, it. this feels exactly like Big Trouble in Little China. And looks like a pile of shit. But you know what? It's super stylized. Yeah, the, the, it, the art is super stylized, and I did not appreciate the art. I don't like the art. I want John Carpenter to just take this script and make a well, sequel. Well, probably <laughs> this is probably a script they had lying around, because it's really well done. But the art is not up to professional standards, in my opinion. It's not. The art... I mean, this story deserves better yes, art it does. than this. Um, it, it's just... I mean, this is a John Carpenter story. I want... Uh, you know who? I, what I want? I want Mikhail Janna to come do this. <laughs> I've never said make an audiobook out of a comic book before, but for fuck's sake, get Kurt Russell to do this and record this. Fuck yes! This was hilarious, and he can do it now. He, this is this Jack is the right age for the the actor. Like I said, like I don't love the art, but I see that it's super stylized. And funny, like especially the way they draw Jack. He is funny, and the demons look great in that way. But it is super stylized, so it's either you're gonna love it or hate. It. It's one that's kind of stylized where you love it or you hate it. And like I don't love it, but I it's just kind of like okay, it is what it is. So wait, you love it, you hate it, or you're like okay. <laughs> well, no, I think most people when something is super stylized like that, it's very polarizing. Is what I was trying to say. For me, I'm kind of mid-ground. Like, I can see that for what it is. And it's like, I personally thought some of the drawings were funny, but it wasn't my favorite. I would have preferred to see it drawn in a different I style. I feel like they blew yeah. all their budget on the writer. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> but God damn it, this sounds think- exactly like it's supposed to sound. I heard Kurt Russell the entire time I was reading this. 
it's pitch perfect the whole way through, writing-wise. Especially after Guardians 2 came out this year. Because, I mean, it, that's basically Jack Burton. Ego at the beginning of, of uh, Guardians 2 is just Jack Burton. I think that's just Kurt Before Russell. he gets the truck, he's just driving around <laughs> in his car. It's Kurt Russell. That's true. I just want Kurt Russell to do stuff like this. <laughs> I think this because, like, Betrayal in Little China is such a wacky storyline, and Jack is such a wacky character, that the art being kind of wacky, I think they were just trying to make it fit with that. It's but it doesn't wacky, necessarily make it good. It's whack. It sucks. <laughs> the, I did think I, the I think tor- little not... torment demon of inconvenience or whatever he is that was actually pretty that was pretty perfect. well done. <laughs> the minor inconvenience. I love My, that so much. That part was great. But you know what? That probably actually is a Chinese hell. There's You'll that be many. annoyed for lo- it's like Roman time. gods. They got one for everything. You know. Yes. <laughs> Art aside, I really love the story, so it's not going to get as high as I would have done. I'm going to give it a 3.75. <laughs> you have fallen from my perfectly laid trap. I have to deduct points for the art. Normally, I take off one star for bad art. I'm going to take off like one and a half stars for this art because this is a real shit burger that you have to eat. But the writing is so fucking good and so tone perfect. I will give this three and a half she's not that into you i disagree i think the artwork is wacky to go along with the type of wacky nature of the story it's not great but it's it's super like character like like if you get a character um so with that said i gave it four it was a mistake i messed up because you know jack messes up a lot (laughs) jack does mess up a lot so are you wait speaking of mess hold on are you guys gonna do so you guys are going to do the generation one? Do you want to do like yeah. a short one for it? Or are you guys going to try and do a full one? Because we're... Yep. Yeah, it's short. Yeah, Probably short. Gonna... Pretty yeah. short. It's, Pretty short. I mean, it's a generation's book, so they're, they're pretty quick. Okay. Um, okay, so speaking of mess-ups, we have been keeping all of the generation's books, and somehow we forgot My to bad. this one. So we're going to do a quick one. <laughs> and I love Miss Marvel, so I'm um, really upset. <laughs> But he's still going to go read it, um, but he didn't get a chance to read it this time. So this uh, bonus book, I guess, is uh, Generations, the Marvels, by Marvel Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson and art by Paolo Villanelli. Because me fucking up a pronunciation, we wouldn't have an episode without it. So this is is basically uh, Kamala gets stuck in the past, and they they get the art just kind of perfect. Um, but it's her back with Miss Marvel, uh, which is fun because previously we had Captain Marvel, as she's known now, going back and meeting the other Captain Marvel. But these are when they were both called Miss Marvel. Um, but it's a cold start uh, to the book, um, and Kamala is just back in the past. But they're drawing it like they like basically this is an, a late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, the colors are muted, and like the shading is very. From that time period. I thought that was great. Yeah. They, they did it. And they even tried to make it look stipulized. And you get a little kind of that era of comics with like Peter Parker running around and J. Jonah Jameson having any money at all. Um, oh, this sounds fucking it, fantastic. It just, it's so fucking <laughs> right, good. It's good. You're going to love this when you get to it, man. Um, but basically, Kamala gets mistaken for the new intern at Miss Marvel's women's magazine. Lib magazine. Yeah, yeah women's lib magazine. Well, it's, it's just a women at woman magazine is literally what it's called. Um, and she's trying to basically it, have it be a women's lib magazine, but it's failing because uh, they're just not, you know, got the readership and all that. So they head into basically the story uh, and you've got 
uh, Carol is head of the magazine. Um, she's she's not the publisher, but she's like the editor in chief, um, and she's talking to all the other staff. Everybody, all of the staff members on the magazine are women, and they're basically she's like, "Hey, we're gonna fail. Look, we're gonna have to go start doing some fluff." And then all of a sudden, this really odd-looking woman breaks in and says, "Hey, I'm gonna buy you fuckers, and <laughs> we're gonna own this shit." But you can obviously tell this is a fucking Shi'ar. Yeah. <laughs> now the Shi'ar and the Cree, and apparently according to this book, the Shi'ar and humans have had a long and strange past. But this is an outlawed Shi'ar who's attacking and just kind of giving Miss Marvel some shit. And other Miss Marvel, Kamala, she gets up in her face and you know they walk off. <laughs> retro Lady Bird or Bird Lady? Yeah, retro bird lady. Or was it Lady Bird or No, it's Bird Lady. Yeah. yeah. Retro bird lady. But, I mean, like, literally, they're barely trying to hide it. You can't see the pupils in her eyes. Her hair is feathers. Um, but then you see that, uh, you know, there's a Shi'ar battleship floating above uh, New York. Uh, and they both head into action. Uh, Miss Marvel, Carol Miss Marvel uh, first goes up there and starts fighting. And then Kamala just smooshes down with her giant hand on Night Scream, who is the Shi'ar chick. So they get into some fights. They go back, and the Kamala's like, oh, I know how to save the magazine. Uh, after uh, Carol basically, you know, is talking about unifying things, there's a scene where Carol's, like, you know, talking to all the people in New York, and, and that gives Kamala the idea. So they're back at the office. Uh, they're like, I've... I tried. We're probably going to get shut down. It's probably our last issue. And Kamala rushes in and goes, stop the presses! Sorry, I've always wanted to say that. But, uh, you know, she hands uh, Carol the the write-up, and Carol's like, fuck, this is our last issue anyways. <laughs> so they publish it, and, and basically Kamala's whole idea was that don't just do, you don't, you don't have to give up women's love. She had this this line at the beginning of the book where was it protests and unicorns? Yeah. We like protests and unicorns and they're like, huh? Huh? And, and, you know, women back then, they didn't quite get it, but Kamala's like, I I meant that, you know, you've got to have your women's lib, but you've also got to remember it's okay to be, you know, what, quote unquote, a a girl, not to, did she create teen Vogue? You know, it's okay to like, basically frivolous. So you have, you have to be frivolous sometimes just it's resisting the status quo 24 seven is exhausting. She literally says that. I mean, I feel Um, like teen Vogue is like raising the banner of resistance and, you know, fashion tips. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly. God damn it. I want to read this book. It's published by the daily bugle. (laughs) It's, It's about not having to ask permission to be who you already are. I'm so uh, inspired they, now. I get to the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go create time travel so I can go back and read this and we can just review it. <laughs> so, but they, you know, basically we have a fight at the end and both Miss Marvels just kick the Shi'ar's ass. Uh, and then she, is it Carol that punches her off into space? She is like, the boss of space. She hits her so hard she flies into space. Yeah. Not yet. Not oh, that's yet. true. She's not the head bitch in charge of space yet. She's well. I think Kamala shows it and kicks her, and then as she she kicks her to Carol, and Carol does the other yeah, upper punch into space. Nice. Yeah, and he goes, "Why is punching bird hybrid supervillains so uniquely satisfying?" And Carol's yeah. like, "Don't know. Maybe the wind resistance." <laughs> I know that was a good fight. But they they have a short bit of a moment here, and then Kamala fades out, and you know the way that uh, Generations books do it is so. Th- I'm going to say it one last time, guys. It was really satisfying. Yeah, this one was really cute and well done. Yeah, it felt like classic uh, Miss Marvel. In I didn't get ways. to read this, and I feel like I'm trapped in the hell of minor inconveniences. <laughs> 
I like that there was a girl that when Kamala's like, oh, I need clothes to fit in. Everyone here is so drab and wearing the wrong colors. Oh, when <laughs> and she goes she, to buy clothes. And she's like, I only have $20. And the, and the lady in the, in the department store is like, girl, you can have whatever you want. Because, <laughs> it's you know, back in the past, everything's cheaper. <laughs> I uh, thought that was cute. Right. You're going to love this one, Ryan. <laughs> you're going to love it. All right, guys. Rate it up. Uh, let's see. I'm going to give it four and a half. Why is punching bird hybrid supervillain so uniquely satisfying ah, i like that one i'm gonna give it four and a half young ladies crying into their tiger beats oh jonah jameson <laughs> ryan do you want to you want to rate it just based <laughs> off of what we said <laughs> i will give it i'm gonna go with you guys it sounds great four and a half i haven't read it and i'm gonna win big in my hand to go grab a copy of this thing <laughs> it sounds fucking Excellent. awesome so <laughs> those were the books we read this week you can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcast on original streaming media, Cut the Cord, at fourcolornerds.com or on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds. Make sure you get all your books.